Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. This is the last of the five-part series on creating emotional resilience. This series was created from a class that I took. You've heard about it on all the other episodes in this series. In this class, we practice different skills like healthy thinking patterns and managing stress, overcoming anger, all the good stuff. Take from this series what resonates with you that you can navigate your life with a bit more resilience one step at a time. These are all skills that we learn, muscles that we're trying to develop, emotional resilience muscles. And we need emotional resilience in this crazy world that we are in. So these episodes become really important because they've got a lot of good content. And, you know, we're not going to all pop and be emotionally resilient instantly going from A to Z, but we work on things one at a time. Today's episode is about one of our strongest emotions, anger. And with it, we'll also get some ideas for just dealing with strong emotions in general. But this emotion, like it's a real emotion that we don't want to deny, but that we need to learn how to navigate and choose thoughts and actions that create more peace in us rather than feed the anger beast. So stay tuned. are our lives and language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. writing this episode, we just completed the April 2023 General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And as I sat and listened to the prophets and the leaders, I was surprised at how many talks were about not being contentious. I mean, that was just the main theme. Even the prophet himself focused his primary message on this topic of being peacemakers. And 3 Nephi 11, 29 through 30, the Savior taught the Nephites, quote, There shall be no disputations among you. For verily, verily, I say unto you, He that hath the spirit of contention is not of me, but is of the devil, who is the father of contention. And he stirreth up the hearts of men to contend with anger, one with another. Behold, this is not my doctrine, to stir up the hearts of men with anger, one against another. But this is my doctrine that such things should be done away." Unquote. Anger is something that we all feel. It's an emotion that rears its head when underneath what we're really feeling is resentment, disappointment, shame, hopelessness, guilt. Our expectations aren't being met. We're embarrassed, we're frustrated, we're anxious, we're threatened. We've been rejected or hurt, offended, heartbroken. There are a lot of underlying emotions and situations that trigger anger. Understanding this, I think, is really important in understanding ourselves because we can check in on those things. Emotional resilience means that we are able to more effectively understand our emotions and to manage them. This is no doubt a lifetime of work, but a very important part of our work. This is a part of living with awareness and moving toward higher ways of being. So let's consider a couple ideas. 
The first is that anger comes from lots of various emotions, as I've just mentioned, and understanding that helps us get to the bottom of an angry situation so that we can de-escalate it and understand ourselves better. And what I mean by this is that when you feel yourself getting angry, stop. Consider what's causing that anger. Are you feeling hurt? Are you disappointed? Are you embarrassed? Once we understand what has us so upset, then we can navigate the situation better. Sometimes even just understanding that can help you better communicate with the person that you're angry with. For instance, let's say you've asked your husband to do something numerous times and he just doesn't get around to doing it. You can spiral and the, why doesn't he listen to me? Why can't he help? Why can't he see the wisdom in doing it this way? Etc. 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 Or you can identify that perhaps you're feeling disrespected, um, resentful, unappreciated, hurt. With this knowledge, you can then open a conversation using the I statements that we talked about in an earlier episode. When I ask you to help break the leaves over and over and it doesn't get done, I feel unheard. I feel disrespected. I feel hurt. This approach shares a vulnerable insight into your feelings that focuses on you and doesn't focus on making accusations toward him. At the very least, this opens space for communication, people talking things out and striving to understand one another's position on something is a tool to choosing peace and peacemaking over anger and contention. The second idea I want you to consider, understanding that anger escalates and how to manage anger or to cool down can be a life-saving tool. Things that make anger escalate are accusations. I hate it when I get accused of things. That gets people's blood pumping. Um, Continuing to argue once you're angry, that just escalates it. Yelling or screaming escalates it. When you dwell on hurt or planning revenge, like if your focus isn't on that, is on that, it gets bigger, right? That's gonna escalate a situation. And of course, any kind of violence is gonna escalate a situation. So on the flip side of that coin, what are ways to de-escalate an angry situation? One of the most powerful is to give the other person the benefit of the doubt. One of my friends created a story in her mind that I was stabbing her in the back she created an entire false story. Like none of it was even true, which makes me so sad. But she created this entire false story and then destroyed the relationship because she didn't bring her fears to me or give me the benefit of the doubt. She just went and talked behind my back and made false accusations and just completely destroyed the trust. I can't help but be so sad that she didn't give me the benefit of the doubt because it would have changed everything, completely different outcome. She's completely misinterpreted all sorts of things that it didn't have to be that way. Sometimes postponing a response until you have time to think about your thoughts and say the right thing can really de-escalate a situation also. Sometimes just getting out, burning it out of your system with some exercise can be a part of that. I used to hop on my bike when my kids were young and I'd just go out and ride 15 miles I needed a break. I needed to burn off whatever was pent up about being a stay-at-home mom and listening to little kids do crazy things and fight. And so I just get out and bike. Meditation, prayer, relaxation, calming music, humor. 
you can't really laugh and be angry at the same time. So these can all definitely cool your blood. Find a way that works for you to navigate those emotions and then help your family members find a way that works for them. What is a great, healthy, resilient way that you can help the people in your charge learn to navigate their tough emotions? Super great tool to give. Okay, the third is that anger is a choice. Let's play with some examples. Lindsay Robinson in the May 1998 Enzyme said, quote, understanding the connection between agency and anger is the first step to eliminating it from our lives, unquote. We feel anger and that's not bad. That's a part of being here, but we can choose our response to that anger. We can feed it or we can choose something else, a management technique, a cooling down period, a different approach like we've just discussed. Let's do a few story problems. You are driving home from work and you're tired and traffic is heavy, you're late for an appointment and another driver almost causes an accident and then flips you off. Automatically you think, what? How dare he think that was my fault? What a total jerk. Your underlying emotions at that point are fatigue, unjust accusation, stress. What are your options for managing this anger? You don't want to take the anger home with you. You don't want to give it any more space or time in your heart because who wants to? So take a deep breath. Maybe turn on some calming music. Remind yourself, I can either make this better or I can make it worse. There have been a lot of road rage issues in the news lately. If I escalate things, there could be an accident. I could end up taking home anger Things could turn violent in the, the car if I, if I keep interacting with this person. Will I stoke the fire or will I let it go? I've shared this story before, but it applies here. I walked up to a door of my Transcendental Meditation Seminar many years ago and the door was locked. So another student and I were standing outside and we started to talk. I'd had a really rough week because one of my real estate clients was having a tough space and had been taking out her feelings on me she'd been bullying and I wanted to stay professional but I also needed to maintain boundaries in a way that you know I let people treat me well and in this case I wasn't I didn't know how to manage it it was causing me a ton of stress so I started sharing my frustrations about this client with this other student and he was further along in his study of meditation than I was and he'd been around the world actually studying in different styles and different places and when I had completed my tale of woe, he tossed his pen at me across the space between us and I instinctively reached out to grab it. And he said, you didn't have to catch that, you know. What do you mean, I said. And he responded, well, people can throw anything they want at you. You don't have to catch it. If you don't catch it, it falls on the ground. It's like a fire. If you don't add fuel, it will eventually go out. I've never forgotten that simple teaching moment. Another problem, a story problem. You told your son to do his chores before he left to hang out with his friends and he ignored you and he just went and he did his own thing. The feelings behind that anger might be, why doesn't he listen to me? I'm so tired of asking him to do things and having him ignore me, disrespect me. As you consider your own feelings of being disrespected and being disappointed, being hurt, that after all you do for him, he can't contribute just a little. 
what is a response that can cool the anger? And thus, you can deal with it in a more productive way when he gets home. So creating an intentional plan, such as sharing with him why it's important you to you that he do his chores when you ask him to, to help the house look nice, to create a clean environment, because he's an important part of the whole and he needs to contribute. You can also create consequences when you have a cool head rather than when you're mad. Such as if you choose to go play with your friends again before you clean your room, then you will be choosing to skip a day of playing with friends, or you will lose a certain privilege, or you will lose 10 bucks if I have to clean your room for you or do your chore. Once you've been clear with the consequences, then he can make his choices and the consequence needs to play out, but it will happen without anger. So an important lesson in choice, agency, and consequence that he can learn. And doing it with intent and calmness rather than anger creates a completely different situation for you and your child. We can choose to respond to anger In the Emotional Resilience Workshop, Elder Robbins tells a story about an athletically talented young man who lost his temper when he made a bad move on the basketball court. He missed an easy shot. He became angry and he stomped and he whined. And the coach told him that if he did that again, he wouldn't be allowed to play. The young man made sure to control his anger throughout the rest of his high school basketball career. And what he learned from this was that anger and acting out is a choice. And it can be controlled when we want to. In an earlier episode of the Love Your Story podcast, in episode 158, A Healthy Relationship with Fear, it was my interview with Kristen Ulmer. She is a thought leader on fear and anxiety. She draws from her tenure as the most fearless woman extreme skier in the world for 12 years. She also intently studied Zen for 16 years, and she's facilitated tens of thousands of clients on flow and peak performance. So she talks about her perspective on handling difficult emotions. And while she specifically is addressing fear, the topic is really any emotion, especially any difficult emotion. So here's what she shared. We have, according to Zen tradition, 10,000 different states of mood or being, whatever you want to call it. And the analogy is 5,000 of them are considered good and 5,000 of them are considered bad. So imagine you have a house full of children and half your children you've named love, joy, gratitude. And the other half you've named like fear, anger, sadness. Despite your best intention, would you be able to treat them all the same way? No. And what we tend to do is nurture and love and show off to the world these wonderful children, the the love, like, you know, we have gratitude practice, we have forgiveness practice, we choose love over fear, like all these things that we do to nurture these wonderful children. And what do we do with these bad children, these negative children? Well, we resist them. And resistance is specifically taught in our culture by doctors, by psychologists, by self-help gurus. And resistance comes in many forms you know, we ignore them like I did, or we try to rationalize them away. We get into our heads dealing with our emotions intellectually rather than emotionally. We try to breathe them away. We try to replace them with the positive spiritual bypassing, like anything we can do to get rid of them, get rid of them, get rid of them and win the war against them. We try to conquer and overcome them. We lock them in the basement. We throw away the key. So, what happens down there in the basement? And, and what, I mean, let me ask you, Laura Lee, what would you do 
if you were a child and you were locked in the basement and nobody loved you and you're down there with no food, no love, no water, no sunshine, how would you feel and how would you react? I don't know how much you could do if you were locked down there. It sounds like you're being tortured. Right. Um, Yeah. I mean, obviously, you're either going to wither away and die or you're going to fight to get out. Now, the thing is, though, these are emotions. They will not be denied and they cannot wither away and die. We, we get that wrong. We think that they will if we do this, you know, lock them in the basement. And, you know, the thing is, they're your children. Like they're part of your life. So they have something to say and you rush through them. You resist them. You try to get rid of them. You, you know, make yourself so busy. You don't have to deal with them. You drink alcohol. You smoke pot. You take pills. Like whatever it takes to get rid of them, you're going to get rid of them. Well, they don't go away. You know, they just get temporarily pushed away. Mm -hmm. And we all know with children that are being ignored, well, they just come back later screaming louder. You know, now they're upset. And then after 10 years of this, they now have a kind of issues. Like they have psychological issues, like they're abused. And, and so now they're hysterical screaming. They're either showing up as exaggerated versions of themselves in the form of an anxiety disorder or panic attacks or hijacking your mind in the middle of the night when you're trying to sleep to make themselves known then because that's the only time you'll listen. Showing up as an insomnia, monkey mind, or they show up redirected in other ways that don't even seem like fear, um, such as depression or anger. Like if a kid has a really scary home life, he doesn't want to deal with his fear. It feels weak. He has to feel something. So that fear will show up as anger instead, which feels more powerful to him. So basically, you're going to have a lot of emotional issues if you lock these children in the basement. Okay, so what do you do instead? All right. So what do you do instead? You talked about acceptance. So that's a step in the right direction. And I think that most progressive teachers are teaching some form of acceptance. And so I actually break it down into four classic levels of how people deal with their fear and other so-called negative emotions. The first is resist. And because it's so prevalent in our culture, we either all do it at some point or 99% of us do it all the time and it's supported. And these efforts, you know, the letting go, the breathing exercises, the positive affirmations, even cognitive behavioral therapy, all of that works great to temporarily make you feel better. Child goes away, shuts the hell up, right? So you think, okay, I'm on the right path. But you have to keep this up. You have to now meditate four or five times a day. You have to do breathing exercises all the time. And it just gets, uh, builds up to a bigger and bigger problem. And the cognitive behavioral therapy, then you then retrain your brain to be desensitized to the now screaming child, which works, right? It works, but it seems excessive. So that's the first level. The second level is acceptance. A lot of progressive teachers, like I said, are teaching this. Well, you got to accept them. They're normal and natural. Life involves fear, sadness, anger, all of that. But what tends to happen is there's a comma after that. And now let's let them go. Now let's choose something more positive over these so-called horrible emotions. And mind you, I get it. Like the only version that we know of these Emotions are at this point the the kind of disjointed, crazy, irrational ones that are screaming for attention from the basement. You know, anger throws punches and screams at strangers. You know, sadness is like depression, you know, or 
like overly sobbing in inappropriate situations. Fear has shown up as like crippling, you know, like preventing you from doing the things that you want to do. Like those are the versions of these emotions that we are now aware of because of the way we've been treating them for so long. Acceptance is a step in the right direction, but we're not there yet. And uh, I want you to see again, like this as being a child. If I accept the child, you know, that's, it doesn't honor them. Like I accept that there's nothing I can do about him. It is what it is. I hate him, but I can't get rid of him. So whatever, like, you know, that doesn't make you feel very good when you hear that about yourself. So third level is you learn how to embrace your emotions. It's very counterintuitive, turning towards them, not away from them, and actually giving them a hug, like it's a physical experience, learning how to feel them. This is where we stop dealing with our emotions intellectually, and we actually start dealing with them emotionally, taking us into our bodies, connecting ourselves to kind of the core of what makes us us. You know, fear, anger, and sadness are a huge part of the human experience. So by embracing these emotions, you actually make friends with yourself at your core and you make friends with the nature of life itself. But then there's the fourth level, which is where you have an intimate relationship with these emotions. And can you see how far we've gone from mere acceptance to embracing to have an intimate? And now imagine if you were that child, you know, you've been locked in the basement. Now we accept you. Then we embrace you. And then we have an intimate relationship with you. And we go about our lives just honoring you and welcoming you and being curious about what you have to offer. Can you see that that child becomes mature and stops being irrational and crazy, but actually winds up being a benefit to our lives, like an asset and an ally helping us be magnificent out there? Sure. Can you give me an example? Choose a specific fear, maybe something from your own life. What does it look like to be intimate with that fear? Just a a real life thing. I was uh, right when my book came out. I'm a facilitator. I don't do lectures. Mm -hmm. Um, I show people this rather than tell them. And uh, I was asked to do the first of many speeches right after my book came out. And and I was like right off the bat in front of a huge audience of really smart people that can make a huge difference in my career. And I had to give a 75-minute keynote. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so far out of my comfort zone. And I said, yes, because fear is kind of my thing. Like (laughs) by saying yes, I was willing to accept a lot of fear in my life. We start there. But I was, I mean, it was a big step for me. And uh, first of many, I've now done tons. But so I had a month to prepare. And the fear, we think fear of failure is a holdback. It's actually a motivator. You know, if you have a resistance to your fear of failure, it's the resistance to the fear that keeps your butt on the couch not the fear itself. We get that wrong. And it's that the awful feeling is not the fear. The awful feeling is the resistance to fear. Like, I don't want to feel this. Like somebody doing trapeze class, I owned a trapeze school. You know, it's the resistance. I don't want to feel fear that keeps them not doing the trapeze class. The fear doesn't stop them. The fear is there to make them sharp and focused. So because I was intimate with my fear, the fear got my butt off the couch and made sure that I would prepare you know, like fear of failure, made sure that I did my homework and prepared so as not to fail, right? Right. So it helped me prepare. Okay. And then, of course, I'm about to give the speech and I'm about to go out. It's 10 minutes before it. And I am feeling a tremendous amount of fear. You know, I'm terrified. And there were two choices. I could either go behind and say, I, the stage and say, I got this. I'm totally ready. I've, you know, and try to rationalize the way the fear, which we are typically taught to do, but I didn't do that because that would have worked. I would have felt better, but it wouldn't have been me having an honest relationship with my fear. And it would have 
it was repression and that fear would come back later in the some other form i'd kick the cat or yell at my husband or i don't know i don't kick cats but anyway instead this is what i did i first acknowledged that it's normal and natural to feel fear of course i feel it i'm about to give a speech right it's not a sign of personal weakness it's not a character flaw we all feel it especially if we're going to do big things with our life second step i then did a body scan so fear is in our bodies it's a feeling in our bodies if it's in your head that's a clear sign you've been repressing it and it's showing up in your thoughts so i did a body scan what did i feel i felt nervous it was in my chest and uh it was a level 10 out of 10 and there's an equation that i have in my book suffering equals discomfort times resistance. So my discomfort was a level 10. And I found it in my body. And nervousness is another name for fear. Then I did a second body scan. And I noticed what is my reaction to that fear? Well, I was in resistance to it. I'm like, oh, for crying out loud, I wrote a book about this, right? My resistance was also a level 10. And it was showing up as I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. I don't want to feel this. This is too much fear. I don't want to do this. I just wish I were at home with my cats and my husband and watching a movie. Like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here, right? So 10 times 10, that's a whole lot of suffering. So first I spend some time and I always encourage my clients to have a resistance practice. Like the resistance is the issue with fear, not the fear itself. So spend some time getting to know your resistance. Everybody is different. Some people go shopping you know, excessively. Some people eat food as a way to not deal with their fear, make yourself really busy, all these things we do to not deal with our fear. And uh, I spent some time just feeling my resistance and see resistance is like a child too. I gave some quality time and attention to that child without trying to get rid of it. You know, this is not about replacing it or getting rid of the resistance. You don't want to resist your resistance either, right? And much like when you turn towards a child and give them your undivided love and attention, they calm right down. So after about a minute, my resistance calmed right down to level one. And then I turned my attention to my fear. And what to do instead is summarized in a very simple practice where you learn how to feel your fear. Like just feel it. Like a rider feels a horse or where you feel like an ice cube on your skin or just feel it, just have an intimate moment. Now, this is not about focusing on it with your brain. This is a thought-free experience where you just spend some quality time with it. And then that child also ran out of things to say, calm right down to a level one. This took me two minutes to do. And then I went from 10 times 10 to one times one, a lot less suffering without any kind of repression. And then I went on stage and I, I killed it. It was interesting to me that Catherine Rentals, our therapist who spoke to us in these episodes, and Kristen both mentioned the same thing about trying less to control with force our difficult emotions and instead being aware and learning to navigate them. There must be some truth there because the experts are speaking to it. This is the final episode in our five-part series of emotional resilience. Hopefully you have found some big takeaways But all you really need is one, because we learn line upon line, precept upon precept. Share this episode with the people that you love, and let's all work and support one another, improving our emotional resilience skills. I don't think that life is getting easier. We will just get stronger as we work the emotional resilience muscles. Keep up the great work, everyone. We'll see you in two weeks for the next episode of the Love Your Story podcast.